I'm Monica Malpass coming up on Inside Story just five weeks until Election Day in the midterms and the latest Franklin and Marshall poll has some fascinating insights. Let's get the Inside Story. Good morning and welcome to Inside Story. I'm Monica Melpass and thanks so much for joining us. We want to introduce our insider today. It's Terry Madonna with Franklin and Marshall Polls. And we have some Monica. fascinating things to talk about as we near 40 days now until the election in the midterm. Not often an interesting midterm, but this year is bound yeah. to be uh, far different than normal. And it seems like it's never ending too, doesn't it? It's been <laughs> it going on for over a year. Right. All right, let's look at some of the uh, data that you've mm -hmm. uh, combined from mm -hmm. your poll. And we're going to go over a few of these. Half of Pennsylvania's registered voters believe Governor Tom Wolf's doing an excellent or good job as governor, so that's telling. And then two out of five, 42% believe the same of Senator Bob Casey, excellent or good as a state U.S. Senator. And our final graphic in this little section, about two out of five believe President Donald Trump is doing an excellent or good job. Mm -hmm. So that sounds to me as if incumbents are winning the day, at least at this moment yeah. in time. Well, let's talk about Governor Wolf first. First of all, if you get a 50% job, a, you know, positive job performance, that's a pretty good sign you're likely to be reelected. Now, Senator Casey's is lower, but at the moment, Congressman Lou Barletta has not found a significant issue to take the senator down. The other way to think about this is, and this I think is important, midterm elections are essentially a referendum on the president. And I'm gonna use a number, 1890. No, I didn't say 1990. The president's party has only won three midterms since 1890. My goodness. And if we just go back to first midterms, start with Richard Nixon and move up to President Obama, the president's party in first midterms has only won one. Mm. That's George W. Bush in 2002 in the, in the wake of the horrible 9-11 attacks. The problem right now that the, that the Republicans have is, this is a referendum on the president. You just read his job performance in our state. It's about 42% positive nationally. The president's job performance is low. Bill Clinton's party, the Democrats, lost, and I'm glad you're seated, 54 seats in 1994. Wow. His job performance, 45, 46 in that range. Barack Obama, his, the Democratic Party, lost 63 seats. In the midterm. In 2010 in the Tea Party election, 63. His job performance, 44, 45, 46%, and even Ronald Reagan, 26 seats back in 1982. And you know what's fascinating about the all three of, power of them? The balance of power would shift remarkably. Yeah, but here's what happened. All three of those presidents won re-election, right. so despite having again, a, bad first, a bad first midterm. That's exactly right. Mm. All right, let's break it down a little bit more in our local elections, mm -hmm. or at least in the state of Pennsylvania, with two more of our graphics that I found ex especially telling. And then we're going to talk about the differences in men and women voters and other points as well. So here we have two more graphics for you. Uh, Governor Wolf currently leading his Republican challenger, Scott Wagner, 30% to 17% being undecided, 52 to 30 there for Governor Wolf. And finally, on the senatorial side, again, Senator Bob Casey at 50% currently holding a double-digit lead right. over Lou Barletta, 17% Right. higher, but 15% remain undecided. Uh, what do you see happening in those right. two races Here, that could change that? Here's the Well, let's start with this. Here's the situation. Every single independent poll, whether you're talking about Suffolk, uh, Suffolk or Muhlenberg College or the Marist poll, every single poll done in this state shows the Democrats, Senator Casey 
seeking a third term, Governor Wolf seeking a second term with a double-digit lead. I'm going to repeat that, a wow. double-digit lead, right. every single poll. The Muhlenberg poll out last week had, had Governor Wolf leading by 19 and Senator Casey by 18. The fact of the matter is what we're looking at right now as I indicated before, a referendum on President Trump. A blue wave then. A, a blue, uh, so you, it's just a size of the exactly, blue wave? You're, you're, it's exactly where I was going. The question is, is it a light blue, a medium blue, or a dark blue wave? And at the moment in our state, it doesn't look like we're in the state legislature we're going to see any change. The Republicans are likely remaining in control. But when it comes to Congress, the Democrats could pick up from three to five congressional seats, mm. three of them almost certainly down here in the uh, southeastern part of the state in the Philly Burbs in Montgomery, Chester, and Delaware counties, and mm. we'll look at the Bucks County seat. So the bottom line here is that unless something shakes up the environment, unless something dramatically occurs, it looks like this is going to be a good Democratic year, not just in our state, but around the country. And the impact of the Kavanaugh fallout, you believe, will widen out, darken that blue wave well, or not darken it's, it's it? it's hard to say. I mean, I think you can look at what happened, and I think a lot of your viewers probably paid very close attention to it. If he gets confirmed, which now looks more likely than not, I think that will probably help the Democrats more than the Republicans because I think that will, you know, motivate Re uh, Democratic voters far more it was expected at the outset that Kavanaugh would be, uh, uh, you know, confirmed. The bottom line here is it's conceivable that both, uh, both Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh are actually correct in what they said, but in the sense that she certainly probably suffered some kind of an attack. Bottom line here, it still looks like a pretty good year for the Democrats. We're going to have to wait and see if it's a good, if, if, how the size of the good of the good year. All right, Terry Madonna, thank you so much for your time. We My always pleasure. find your polls fascinating. And more Inside Story with our panelists when we come right back. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back. Time to meet our insiders. And let's start with Nia Meek. She is here with us, an executive of communications. Good Thank morning. you so much for being back. Allison Young, GOP strategist. Welcome to you, Allison. Good, Good to have you. Rich Negrin, attorney. Always Hi, nice Monica. to see you, Rich. Happy to be here. And Ed Trzansky, foreign policy analyst. Thank you for being here as well, Ed. Let's talk quickly about the poll that Terry was here describing. And you said that you have some vast differences from you. Don't expect a blue wave, possibly? I don't expect a blue wave. You know, the poll also did, Monica, talk about um, how Democrats are voting primarily against President Trump, where Republicans are motivated to vote for something. And that's the lily white optimist in me who's been in politics for 25 years now. I think people that are voting for something are actually going to show up. And so when the poll, you know, didn't, the, the poll polled likely voters. Um, and I think that what we learned in the last election was we can't, we don't know who the likely voters are. They're going to be motivated by optimism and hopefully the Republicans will show up in bigger numbers. So you believe turnout could change that around? I do. All right, let's move on and talk about some other important topics of the day. Uh, obviously a major Philadelphia icon, Bill Cosby, sentenced to jail this past week. And it was uh, the first case, if you will, of the Me Too movement about sexual assault. And now in the same week we had the Judge Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, what do you think is the long-term impact of some of these high-profile names uh, no matter the outcome for them, but of the raising of awareness, if you will, and of this movement, is it gathering steam or has it lost a little bit of steam? You know, the interesting thing about this, uh, 
uh, I can't find anyone who feels that a rapist should walk the streets. No one. The evidence in this particular case when it came to Bill Cosby showed that there was sexual assault and then he's being held accountable for it, regardless of how old he is. The issue that people have culturally is that we don't apply the same standard across the board. And that's the challenge. I mean, whether you're talking about a Harvey Weinstein, who has these types of allegations, or Brock Turner, who had allegations with the Stanford case. Right. The issues are, unless we apply the same standard, we're not moving any further along. We is have it a white select black thing, or is it an age you know, thing, it's, or celebrity It's about thing? privilege a lot of times, and privilege often comes. I mean, and people were somewhat thrilled in this case with Cosby because they said, you know what, no matter how high you are, if you're wrong, you're wrong. Women's voices have been raised with this for decades, and finally there was injustice. However, we cannot forgive the fact that when it comes to this issue of sexual assault, women's voices often are still poo-pooed. Too often, I mean, anytime a, a young man has been accused and basically convicted of sexual assault and he gets six months because it might ruin his life, we still have a long way to go across the board in this country. And what do you think, Rich? Are we at a different place these days? I do think we are. I think we made some progress. A lot more progress needs to be done. But I think we've seen the end of the frat boy culture. I hope we have. Uh, you know, there's a lot of that conversation around what's going on with Judge Kavanaugh right now. Um, you know, for me, no needs to mean no. And I think we're having that conversation. I, I agree with uh, Mia that. I'm concerned that when you look at the facts around the allegations around someone like Harvey Weinstein, that he's not in custody somewhere, right? There are, there are, there are blatant allegations of rape and abusing his power. So we haven't gone as far as we need to go, and people like that need to be held accountable. We underestimate the power of celebrity, I think. It's not just about money. It's not just about race, although all those things are relevant. The power of celebrity and holding folks accountable at a high level when they're very visible is a real problem. We have a cult of personality in this country that I think um, gets in the way of true justice sometimes. And do you think that it uh, will be tarnished in some way because Bill Cosby was a big yeah. person? personality, excuse me, obviously one of the biggest, the dad, America's dad. Monica, so first of all, Rich and Nia have, have both put their finger, I think, on what's really important. The only color that matters is green. It's how much money you have, how much status you have, your celebrity. And that has a distorting effect. That's my concern, that what happens is movements tend to be unfocused they tend to be driven by anger. And as a result, what happens is a Duke lacrosse case where allegations are made and they turn out not to be true, but there's a rush to judgment. And I think if we can have sober analysis to look at a situation, you mentioned Kavanaugh, it's not incongruous or unreasonable to say that a person can come across as credible, but tell a story that's not credible. So the presumption of innocence is important, but the facts also matter. And to bring out the facts so that people are not afraid to bring them forward. Rich mentioned, we have, as a culture, changed because there's greater sensitivity. What we can't have is a rush to judgment in either way.
All right, let's move on to talk about the Catholic Church grand jury report update. Uh, lawyers for the clergy did fight to keep the names of the accused out of uh, the paperwork. They're trying to get those redacted. As you know, this refers to dozens of priests allegedly who abused a thousand children in Pennsylvania allegedly over the last decades. And uh, our own attorney general has been pursuing the case. Do you think the names should be redacted or do you think as part of the process that there should be openness and transparency about the entire thing? I, I think those questions aren't mutually exclusive because my understanding is the, Supreme, the state Supreme Court already ruled that in the case of a couple of the names that, are, that they've redacted from the report, that um, these are people whose constitutional rights were violated in the way that the grand jury report was written and conducted. And so this in, um, is, my understanding is not about, some of them are not about predatory priests, they're about people that were involved and were, have not been able to either address or defend the, those actions that were in the report. And so I think that there's a, there's a civil rights issue here. So I don't know that it's, this is a case of transparency. I think this is a case of finding truth, and that's the most important thing because what they're seeking to do right now is find the actual truth and what the Catholic Church of today is trying to do to address it. And uh, I don't know that um, calling everyone a predator is the right way to go about it. And Pennsylvania's House has also passed a bill that would suspend the statute of limitations for uh, older victims of sexual mm -hmm. abuse so that they could still have their allegations heard. Right. I guess uh, you feel strongly about that? It, it's a good move in this case because, as we know, I mean, one could be a victim of sexual assault it may take years to process that information. It may take even longer to come forward with it. And then to say, oh, sorry, your time is up. Um, too bad. You should have talked to us a lot earlier. Still puts the burden on the victim. In this case, that should not be the situation. Really, at the end of the day, if we are to pursue justice, if we are to find the facts, we should allow these processes to proceed. And in this case, we should not have that type of statute of limitations. All right. Let's talk about any optics learned in the former Mayor Wilson good having a statue dedicated street rather named for him and quite a number of protesters there because he was the mayor of course in charge during the move debacle he took full responsibility for that even that day again uh, but do you think that it was inappropriate to name a street for him or how did you like the handling of that I'm a man I mean, really for what happened on May 13 I was responsible I was responsible you know, I, I think um, you look at his history and who he is overall, and you look at his entire career path as the first African-American mayor of the city of Philadelphia, that deserves to be honored. When you meet him and speak to him today, he is a man of grace and dignity uh, and somebody who is an elder statesman. I know when I was with the Nutter administration, Mayor Nutter spoke to him on a regular basis around just what do we need to do to improve our city, and Mayor Good was always uh, a willing ear and, and there with sound advice. Um, I think they need to be very careful with where they put that yeah, memorial. And don't, they don't it was too close to the move site. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think that's what they're reacting to. If you have it somewhere else, you do it in a dignified manner that's not over the top and it's not correlated to move in any kind of way. I think it makes sense. And there was an opportunity for healing here and having that conversation with those who had been harmed by those actions. Mayor Good is uh, the first to tell you that he has a lot of regrets about things that have happened. Yeah. He has owned what has happened. But when you just sort of foist something out there, the intention was good. The intention was to honor someone, his sense of history, but the mistake was not taking into account those who had been harmed and bringing them into this conversation. How can we do this more fully? Monica, this is very much part and parcel of the debate over monuments. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. Where what happens is that people stop looking at a context and they will focus on one aspect of the historical character's behavior or record 
at the exclusion of everything else. And which I think could relate to the Mayor Rizzo statue. It absolutely does. Down south, which is why I think where, how, and when you commemorate Madison. someone's achievement taken as a whole is important. So I don't want. I hate the whitewash history. There's a reason we have monuments. It's it's to point to those things that we as a people think are important that come from our moral sense. But time, place, manner, all of that counts. And shared values. And I agree with you. I mean, this is part of a broader conversation that we all should be a part of mm -hmm. when these decisions are made, particularly when we're talking about a public monument, whatever that is, whether it's a street sign, whether it's a statue, these sure. things are important. Well, and to Nia's point, so much of it is about how it's communicated to the right. citizens yeah. of this city, too. And this administration can't seem to get out of their own way. We, this seems to come up almost every week. You know, they just haven't communicated well. They haven't connected with the people in the community, and they just do things and then foist them on people. I think you are right, absolutely right about that. Is it because they think it might get mired in the bureaucracy, the red tape of it, and they just want to get things done, you feel? I don't or know. I'm not, I'm, not inside, I'm not inside these decisions in City Hall, but I, I feel like it's consistently coming up that things haven't been communicated well, and they're with good intent, but because right. they didn't do the job of actually connecting to the people in the community on the ground, the city is full of great neighborhoods and great people who are loyal to those neighborhoods, and I think that this, the Kennedy administration needs to do a better job of connecting to with people in communities. All right, speaking of the city, they're moving to a seven and a half hour work day, <laughs> instead of an eight-hour workday. That will obviously cost millions of dollars, uh, but people would get a little raise, if you will. Tell me how you think that was handled and if you think that's the right idea. I think it's a, the, my understanding of the issue is it's a way to align computer systems. And when you say to the people of the city who are constantly being, um, uh, uh, when you're constantly giving them a new tax on uh, property, on soda, on everything, and there's so much revenue going into the city, and now you're saying that this computer system is now going to cost the city more, I think that's a tough sell. They've got to get ahead of the story and explain to people more than it's a way to make the computers work. And if it is the way to make the computers work, it's not really impacting people who actually do the public service. I mean, Rich can tell you, many people can tell you, if you've ever worked for the city, you always have these stereotypes of the gold bricks. There are many more people who will put in far more than seven and a half hours. Yeah. They will not get paid for any more than that. But the story always goes to, oh, so-and-so got all this overtime and, <laughs> and all this money being wasted. The fact is, to your point, if it's messaging in regards to aligning systems and making the technology work, which oftentimes does not, that's what we should be talking about, not this other aspect where we muddy the waters. I thought the computer narrative was bizarre. I think <laughs> we are the biggest, poorest country, uh, city in the entire yeah. country. This is about poverty. This is about paying a living wage. We started some of these efforts when we took people to $12 an hour. Mm -hmm. um, this is taking them to 15 That's a national movement around paying folks a living wage. You shouldn't work for the city of Philadelphia and be below the federal poverty line. And when we did a study of city employees back when I was city manager, we found that there was a significant percentage of employees who actually were below the poverty line. This, is, this takes them above the poverty line. Working for public service should mean you get at least a, a good livable minimum wage. And to Allison's point, this is, this is a whole that we're talking about. So it's not just addressing the poverty line because we do have the worst severe poverty rate yeah. of any major city. Yeah. In large part, it's not that we've got more poor people, we have fewer people who are above the poverty line because so many have decided to leave. Mm. And it's a way to find to bring more people into the city. And if you punish people through taxation, the more you tax something, the less of it you'll get. You tax productive people, you will have fewer productive people in your town. 
And do you believe the cost is worth the benefit then because it could cost millions or will? Well, but again, it's, it's, it's a mistake to look at that issue by itself without considering everything that we've talked about at this table. Mm. And do you think that the city of Philadelphia can do even better than that? I think that we absolutely can. I mean, we have there. There's almost a, a story almost every week or every other week now coming out where um, the city is now saving money on this. You know, we have um, a new city controller who's looking at uh, Rebecca Reinhart, who's looking at all of these issues and trying to save the save the city money in certain places. So there are good stories, but um, to I think to Ed's point, we have to figure out how to marry them all because to a citizen of Philadelphia, all I see is tax, 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 and yeah. then the, I see all these stories too about money being wasted. Mm -hmm. And so the net takeaway, do you? think is we're one step forward, two steps back, or you think we're getting somewhere? Contextually, we're trying to move forward, but again, we have not knitted the narrative. We have not brought in all the stakeholders, and <laughs> reality is there are a lot of challenges within the city of Philadelphia. I mean, if, if you want to talk about the technology just briefly, as bizarre as it is, there are offices that were still running Lotus Notes, one, two, three, how yeah. low. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a reality. So, I mean, we have a lot of systemic issues until we come up with a comprehensive plan. We're going to continue to have this patchwork here, there, Peace great mail. story. By oh, the, a whole bunch of the, the city Sorry. should be transparent too about the outside contractors that they're working with. They're costing the city now twice what they originally thought to try to marry some of these systems, and they haven't been totally transparent. Less, less, less we're too rough on the city. The federal government has the same problems <laughs> yes. around technology. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Where, where you don't have interoperability, you have old systems, and as a result, important things don't get done. Right. That's what this is worth having a national discussion, <laughs> quite frankly. When you have right. dial-up com computers, that still happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. Inside Stories of the Week coming your way next. Stay ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Time for Inside Stories of the Week, and let's start with Rich. Sure, Monica. You know, we talked about the grand jury Catholic Church report. The one story that really hasn't been covered in this whole aspect is that the Catholic Church actually moved priests who offended into communities of color, uh, poor communities, communities of African-American children and Latino children who were also targeted and uh, uh, victims of sexual abuse. We need to focus on what they did with many of these priests and, and where they did it. All right, Ed. Monica, lost in all the news domestically last week was Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu at the UN, and this has become a, an annual event. He provides information about Iranian nuclear activity that is detailed, that is specific, and the Iranians have to stay up at night wondering how do the Israelis get all this information. Mm. Nia. It's not lost on many advocates that in the midst of conversations about sexual assault, sexual abuse, and now we're moving into uh, Domestic Violence Prevention Month, that post-traumatic stress and other issues that lead to depression at al can often lead to suicide. Right now, we are in the throes in the last days of National Suicide Prevention Month. 1-800-273-TALK. Use the number, share it with anyone you love and who may need that help. All right, Allison. Well, I thought I'd bring a lighter story this week, Monica. Um, for all the star watchers out there, um, the new movie 17 Bridges is filming at the uh, Jose Garces restaurant called Tinto at 20th and Sansom. It'll start in the middle of October and run for about three weeks. All right, exciting. And let's get a quick read on Gritty, the Flyer's new mascot. <laughs> Big fluffy red hair with the googly eyes. Got a lot of press last week and was on GMA, mm -hmm. but some folks are giving Gritty a little question mark because why? They think it's too scary. 
scary. Monica, I'm not going to take my four-year-old to see Gritty, but I'll tell you that uh, Gritty and I are Instagram friends, and the social <laughs> media is on point. Okay. <laughs> well, what is it about Gritty that's causing some talk? Bad firm. Furball. That's what it looks bad like. Bad perm. You don't like the hair. No, it's Scott Hartnell, and he's really let himself go. Oh, That's no. the best line that I saw. I think he's adorable. Look, they got what they wanted, which is publicity, at the very least, right? right? Everybody's That's talking about Gritty. He's going to give the fanatic a run for his money. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Thanks for all your opinions, everyone. That's Inside Story for this week. Hope you have a great week ahead. We'll see you right back here next Sunday morning.